All right, Kyle. Well, uh, you know, it's the first time we've had a podcast in a while here. Uh, do you want to explain to the people what what happened? Yeah, it seems we uh, it seems when seasons end, we sort of wait for like a week. Happened with the Eagles. Uh, happened with uh, the Sixers. Now. I feel like uh, I, I have this as a blogging crutch too. I remember in 2011 when Ryan Howard went down with the injury and the Phil season was over. I just sort of threw my hands up in the air for four days. I was like, I care about nothing right now. I can't even muster words. Um, but yeah, so it's been been a little while since we we've done one of these and we have not spoken uh, publicly since the Sixers have been eliminated I'm not sure uh, not sure what else there really is to talk about at this point you know 10 days out or whatever it is other than to note that the Celtics are now up two games to zero on the Cavs um, absolutely throttled them in game one had a little bit of a comeback last night and suddenly not that the Cavs are the world's greatest team but uh, suddenly, the Sixers' loss and holding a lead in three of the four losses looks uh, quite a bit better and not as bad as it did a week ago. I think that's part of it. Like I think that there are always going to be the other sides of, of these things. Um, there's certainly going to be the the camp that's going to feel like you missed an opportunity because if the Celtics are up 2 nothing, then you very well could have been doing the same. The only time that I think I've been upset in this series is just the, having the realization in Game 1 that this is a, a game that could have been played in Philadelphia and realizing that they missed out on an opportunity. Said all along that Boston was a good team. And, you know, looking back on it now, there are a few things that the Sixers are going to have to address in the draft and via free agency to to kind of keep pace with Boston. Um, last night in the, the lottery, Sixers ended up with the number 10 pick, which we kind of thought was going to happen. Sacramento surprised a bit. Sacramento jumped up to number two, uh, which means that next year, barring the Sixers hitting a miracle, and getting the number one overall pick, their pick is going to convey to um, to Boston. The hope now is that either a Luka Doncic or a DeAndre Ayton or whoever is going to end up being that pick for Sacramento at number two is going to help um, you know get that team to enough relevance where it doesn't end up being like a top five pick. Boston already has you know this is really quick before we get off them, but Boston potentially is going to have four first round picks next year, um, and that that is going to be gnarly. And one of the the worst parts is going to be um, one of the picks is, is a Memphis pick. And as long as it falls between um, 9 and 30, they get it. And then we can probably assume that they're going to get a top 10 pick from the Kings. So this Boston nightmare that we kind of have to deal with uh, long term for the Sixers is going to continue to get stronger. But, you know, Sixers are also going to get stronger when they add Mikael Bridges at number 10. So that'll be fine. Uh, I look forward to injecting the name Suspension Bridges because of his long arms uh, that I gave him his freshman year during that Final Four run. I look forward to that being on a uh, Sixers-themed T-shirt on the Crossing Broad store coming to you soon. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I want them to draft him just because of my Nova bias. Um, we talked, I was out with investors, Jeff and Mike and Kevin last night, and someone brought up as he's quasi like a Tatum. Uh, I think he's a slightly different player than Tatum. I mean, he, I am not comparing him, but I mean, in terms of like what sort of game and body does he have? It's almost like a Kevin Durant style game. Like he's a big guy who would prefer to shoot the three rather than, than get down low and, and, uh, bang around. And he doesn't really not really a mid-range guy the way Tatum was, but he can kind of take flight. So there's a little bit of Tatum in there. Um, there's a style of Durant. He's obviously not that good. Um, 
not as good as Durant, I should say. But uh, I don't know. He he disappointed me in Villanova's run. To me, he was the most disappointing player throughout the uh, the tournament because he he's a streaky shooter and he really struggles to kind of get anything going other than that. And um, I don't know. I've always kind of felt like DiVincenzo maybe and certainly Spellman have more kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, Bridges' game might translate really well to the NBA, so I, I might look really bad saying it here. It, he may not have the best college game, but it might be a terrific NBA game, uh, especially in the modern NBA. So I'm all in on them taking uh, taking Bridges. Deven- defen- With regard to defensive the self- versatility is, yeah. is one of the biggest things. And Bridges, Bridges yeah, because yeah. of his length, because of his athleticism, his lateral speed. No like, doubt. He, he kind of reminds me of a guy. Um, he's not a similar enough player to Covington to compare him to him, but... Um, that kind of, that, that kind of rangy in. deflections and, and tracking that kind of stat, yep. uh, he'll have a spot in the NBA for a while, especially because he'll be able to guard probably anywhere between what a two and a four, maybe in a small ball lineup, no doubt five like, all depends. Yeah. And, and think about what he would, how he would have been able to help in the series against the Celtics. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to that point, seeing what they're doing to the Cavs, I feel both ways. I feel disappointed that it's not us because I think we would have beat the Cavs and seeing how close we were against the Celtics, though they beat us soundly seeing that we were, you know, able to give them a tougher fight than it seems like maybe, maybe anyone else will until they hit the Warriors here. Uh, how Milwaukee fans it's, feel. It, I mean, Milwaukee was able yeah, through mismatches yeah, to take point. them to seven games. I mean, they had to be, you know, pretty upset watching the Sixers series thinking that it looked like it was going to be a sweep. And, you know, in this series, like LeBron will probably write the ship a little bit. He had another 40-point triple-double. I think it's the third Game 2 40-point triple-double he's had in these in these playoffs, which is absurd. Um, but when, when you're looking um, at it, like, this Boston team is good, and they're going to be good for quite a long time. So you have to start thinking about, it's not just any longer thinking about how you're going to get past LeBron. Le- LeBron is one player, and if he's surrounded by a mediocre crew, you kind of see what happens. Um and it's not just about preparing yourselves to play against, you know, Golden State. You have to get past Boston these next five, six years. They're going to be a long-term competitor with you. And, and it, it is good for the rivalry. It's good for the league. So it's exciting. Yeah, I agree. I feel better in the regard that we're, we're maybe closer than we thought. Like, I think coming off the series, everyone's like, well, we got a long way to go. And then you're saying, okay, well, maybe not. Because had, you know, had we beat Boston, which we obviously did not, We'd probably be punching a ticket to the finals because I, I think Sixers would have been doing something very similar to the Cavs. Uh, the problem is, is that yeah, it's 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 probably going to be the Sixers in Boston here for the next decade, which is great. Um, I saw someone tweeted the other day. They said, "Wait until Kyrie comes back and they get worse because Rozier has been playing out of his mind." Um, I don't know if that's wholly reasonable, but um, you know, it, it's kind of like the old the old uh, 2010-2010 Cliff Lee Roy Halladay debate, where it's like. Okay, you know, Halliday is quote unquote the better pitcher, uh, and, and you're swapping them out. Uh, Kyrie is, is obviously the better player, but it's hard to imagine someone really playing better and more efficiently than Rozier did in that Rozier did in that series. So, you know, I don't know if Kyrie would have really made things worse, at least in the in the series against the yeah, Sixers. I mean but, you can you can uh, argue yeah, they're gonna Kyrie's be a problem. Better, a, they're gonna be a likely problem. a better defensive player, better past and he and Marcus Smart together, you know, present a better backcourt defensive pairing than whatever Kyrie's going to give them. So that part's fair. The the thing the thing I, that I hate uh, is yeah. the pundits that say, you know, well, they're not going to be that much better next year. 
with Kyrie and and Gordon Hayward because uh you know they've gotten such good play out of Tatum who essentially replaced Hayward and they've gotten such good play out of Rozier and it's like that's fine but there's still something to be said for all the intangibles that those two guys bring and and that that to me is you know that's going to be the the interesting thing going forward is if you're Boston and you have this treasure trove of assets you know at some point you have to think that if they really are that impressed by what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum gave them you're not going to obviously trade Gordon Hayward a year onto his deal but the the thought of moving on from Kyrie in a couple of years when his uh, when his deals up or about a sign and trade have to be creeping into your mind at least a little bit because you can very likely get a top point guard prospect coming out of the draft in these next two years when you have all these picks. Um, I, I don't I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that if you're looking for cap flexibility going forward, like Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford, I think take up about seventy percent of their cap, maybe a little bit more. And as those extensions start to kick in. If you have to give a max deal to Kyrie, he's probably going to make thirty-five to forty million, like Kyle Lowry did. I mean that that's something that you're going to have to think about, especially because Kyrie is so injury prone. But anyway, that's that's for Boston. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be it's going to be an embarrassment of riches, and um, yeah, like you know, they're going to have to make decisions. They're not. They're you know, you add two more play, you know, two more All Star caliber players, and then a whole bunch of draft picks, and it's you simply don't have room for all of those people. So decisions will have to be made. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they go up against the Warriors, and to see really how far off. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to realize that, you know, as good as this run has been, the East has been pretty weak. They hit a a young, inexperienced team in the Sixers, a bad Cavs team, and they're going to get throttled by the Warriors and say, okay, this was great. We have a really good team ball, some talented players, but we need elite-level talent to compete with teams like this. And, um, you know, as good as they are, I don't think a Sixers with either Kawhi or Kawhi and PG – or LeBron, you know, I, I think it it's as simple as if you add LeBron to the Sixers, they beat the Celtics next year. I I just, you know, you see how you see how good he is with basically nothing around him. Um, they the Sixers would be truly elite, great uh, with him, or with George and and Kawhi, but to a lesser extent. I think. I think the the Kawhi and, and George team could end up being the, the one difference here is that the Kawhi and, and Paul George thing that I wrote up on the site, um, that was based on the, the David Murphy pieces, the pass heavy offense, the ability to then have two, two guys, one of whom is a, an NBA finals MVP, a two-time defensive player of the year, uh, and a, and a two-time all in all, Andre all first team player <laughs> now, um, having him on the team and, and, you know, potentially adding Paul George to that, that gives you two guys who can really fit into this long defensive scheme that Brett Brown likes to play, this this high-paced, um, breakneck speed, pass-heavy offense. Kawhi and, and Paul George are both good ball handlers, good passers. Um, and, and long-term, you know, could really fit this mold. If you want to go for it in the next three years, then LeBron's your way to go, obviously. And I know that I had kind of died on this hill um, the other way, but... You know, if, if you have the potential to add LeBron this summer, you have to take it. Now, if, if you can go out and get, Ka- um, to yeah. me, to me, Kawhi is the guy to get, um, just because I, I look at the cap flexibility that he provides you over the next couple of years if you were to acquire him, and even if you were to sign him to a max extension, um, I still think that, that ultimately he's your best long-term play. Paul George would be a heck of a pickup to add to that. But even if... Let me, let yep. me ask you this. 
let me ask you this because the the main knock against LeBron is you know what he might do to the team and his off whatever off the court antics, which I think is fairly put on him because he does create turmoil, but he's not also a problem player in the in the traditional sense of the word. You have Kawhi, who's a guy who essentially just flaked out on his team and one of the best, most consistent teams and coaching groups uh, the sport has seen in the last several decades. So it's not like he was in an untenable situation like the Knicks or something. He's playing for a, a, close to the gold standard in the Spurs and flakes off on them. How come no one really talks about that? You're like, oh, what a great option. you know. And the, the counter is we don't want LeBron because he's going to create problems. Here's a guy who's you know fucked off to wherever for the rest of the season. I think it's hard. One, because it's, it's an injury that you know, he'd been called out in, in the media by Tony Parker and Monte Ginobili, which was a bad look. Um, but ultimately, he's he's a player and he has an injury. And, you know, when we were going through this whole season with Markel Fultz, like people were upset about it. But part part of the, the Fultz thing was people just thought he had the yips. So there's this like kind of counter narrative going. With Ben Simmons, if you remember to the end of last year, there were people that were calling him out for, you know, saying that he probably should have been able to return the last month, maybe last month and a half of the season, was he holding himself out to win the rookie of the year the following year? And that was like kind of a thing that was, it wasn't a big cloud that was looming over his head, but it was something that people were questioning. In the case of Kawhi, um, you're looking at a guy who clearly has fallen out of trust with the at least the team doctors from the Spurs. He's had this issue with his quad for a few years now. And if he felt like the treatment he was getting there wasn't good enough, I mean, he is an elite player. I mean, I just kind of rambled off some of his accomplishments, but like he is an elite level player. And I know that the narrative typically likes to like people like to put out there is this one about San Antonio being the gold standard. But just because they've been this gold standard for so long doesn't mean they're perfect. And it doesn't mean that every player that's ever played for them is going to be perfect. So much of that gold standard was also kind of established because of Tim Duncan. And with with it. OK, but well, I mean, without without Tim okay. Duncan. Be, so, like, let's say. On the NFL side, you wanted to say that the Patriots are the gold standard. Well, does that mean that every player who's been a Patriot has to, you know, buy into the Patriot way? Well, yeah, or they get shipped out. Um, you know, I, I think that there is clearly a level of distrust that exists between the Spurs and Kawhi. And, you know, there have been articles written and it's been covered on plenty of podcasts nationally that, you know, Kawhi's inner circle, um, specifically his uncle, seemed to be wanting to push him into a bigger market they don't think he can become a superstar in the san antonio market so um i think those things all kind of play into it yeah look that's all fair but you know i and, and we can move on from this but that you 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 are taking the pro Kawhi stance and and making as many people do you know some excuses for him whereas you you could argue the same with regard to lebron situations like hey here's a guy who is trying to become the greatest ever and he wants to hand select his players and and you know, he typically doesn't when he's surrounded by guys he doesn't think are good. And and to an extent, he's actually really good at it. I mean, this is a guy who's been to nine straight finals with the likes of Delvadova. And, you know, I mean, obviously, he's he's been surrounded by Kyrie and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and Kevin Love, and he's had talent around him. But, I mean, look at what he did with this Cavs team sweeping the number one team in the conference with a cast of also-rans that he put together midseason. Now, yeah, I get that he drives a wedge between players and sometimes forces guys out and uh, leaves a team in shambles, which I think is is slightly 
unfair, but that's an argument for another day. But here's a guy who's ultimately, like, as you're saying about Kawhi, he wants to be a superstar. He doesn't trust him to cover his injury. And, you know, here's here's a guy in LeBron who's like, look, I could win if you just give me these serviceable pieces who complement my game. Um, so I think both of these guys have faults in in different ways, but with the aim of being elite or championship level players. So I, I think it is as easy as it is to excuse Kawhi, um, people are less likely to do so with LeBron and, you know, yet he, he has the results to back it up. That, that would be my only counter. That's fair. That. That's very fair. I brought um, up the Patriots really quick and I know that we have, we have the next thing you want to get to, but really quick, I don't know if you saw the Lane Johnson thing. Um, Lane Johnson was on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast and uh, just went on rants against the Patriots. It was fantastic. Um, they just crush beers oh, over the yeah, head. Essentially, he was talking about the fact that like he respects Belichick and the Tom and Tom Brady and all that and the Patriot way or whatever. But um, he said that the arrogance is what what ended up motivating him and, and getting him going. And he said that um, Kraft was talking crap to Lurie and Belichick was talking crap to Peterson. And he said stuff just kind of built up. And um, yeah, he he continues this national crusade against the Patriots, and I love it. It's fantastic. I do. I'm all in on the narrative that the Eagles have ruined the Patriots. I am. I'm. I'm here for that. Uh, making popcorn and watching that. Um, we want to talk a little bit about sports gambling, but you had one thing you wanted to touch on uh, before that, which I, I I'll let you explain the story, and then we could quickly. Discuss so Fortune it. ran this article. Um, a lot of it was based on David Price, but. Um, it's becoming an, an increasing problem. Um, Fortnite is a game that I think some of our listeners probably play. It's a free game that you can play on mobile. You can play across platform on um, Xbox One or, or PS4. I download it and try it. Um, it, it is a, it's, an, it's an enjoyable game. It's free. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's, it's a decent game, but it's, it's addictive. And players in MLB, because of you know it, it being uh, an addictive app, as they're doing travel and everything, it it sounds like Major League Baseball is concerned and teams and front offices are concerned that Fortnite is um, something that teams are going to consider trying to ban from their players um, because so many guys are staying up late. Um, Craig Kimbrell, Chris Sale, J.D. Martinez, um, David Price, they've all been playing. They've all been you know open about the fact that they're playing these games late at night. And now, when you've got a guy with a $30 million contract, um, the owners are starting to to get themselves kind of up in arms. There's been talk in the past about potentially trying to limit video game playing for professional athletes uh, in Major League Baseball. And it looks like going forward, you know, typically in a contract, you've got something in it about, um, you know, don't ride a motorcycle, don't do anything that could, you know, potentially injure you. Now they're talking about, you know, potentially trying to ban um video games in baseball contracts so i i think it's kind of funny i think if uh you know we talked about this before with nick williams admitting that you know well because the lineup is is given to me a few days in advance and i know i'm not playing i don't have to feel guilty about staying up playing video games ultimately like what do you want your guys to do if if the options are they can sit at home and play Fortnite on their phone or they can go out to the bar party club well, they're playing on their PlayStation, yeah, just to be clear. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. They can play on their on their device in travel and then get to the hotel room or whatever with their PlayStation or their Xbox. Um, would you rather them doing that or going out, you know, getting getting hammered at a club, getting themselves potentially in trouble that way? Um, I don't know. It's like the parenting argument 
all over again, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, look, guy, it's like, you're right, it is the parenting argument. Guys can't win, you know, you're right. You'd rather them be sitting in their hotel room where they're at least they're out of trouble and not putting, you know, copious amounts of toxins into their body or, or whatever. Um, you know, on the flip side, video, look, as someone who, who played a lot of video games in college and occasionally will spiral down a rabbit hole if a good news sports game comes out and I find a willing sparring partner online. <clears throat> Until I crush um, you. Sorry. Yeah. But, I mean, they can keep you up. <laughs> the best time to play them uh, always seems to be in the evening because it's it's the sort of thing where you uh, you do it during the day and you feel like, it, you know, if you, especially if you have the commitments a professional athlete has, um, you kind of can't. But the evening is an open time and you are you could be sitting in your bed and feel like you're being fully responsible. But next thing you know, you're cutting four, five, six hours into your sleep. Um so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I really don't think you can legislate against that. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not having guys injure themselves. And if someone doesn't want to take their sleep seriously, whether it's video games or something else, they're just not going to. You know, you're going to have young athletes like Nick Williams who are going to make comments, oh, no, I'm not playing. I don't need to be ready, which is just dumb. Um, the truly great athletes are able to be responsible enough to take care of their bodies and their health and their sleep patterns and all of that. So, you know, even if you take out video games, if a guy can't turn it off by midnight, if he, to get a solid seven or eight hours worth of sleep in, if they have a game the next day, then that's a problem. That's an underlying problem that probably has more to do than just video games. But, you know, look, Ben, I, I know Josh Hart. I follow Josh Hart, Villanova guy, a big, big Fortnite player. Um, he, he did an interview uh, during the tournament, and they said, you know, what was more exciting when you won the national championship or when you won your first Fortnite Battle Royale? And he said, oh, Fortnite by far. And he was joking, but, you know, he's hardcore about it. All these guys have the video game chairs and the live stream. Ben Simmons does. He's, he does, uh, he does plenty PUBG of videos with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, player under, under Battleground or yeah. whatever it's called, which is oh, man, a I didn't even similar know version. Okay, that was an acronym. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's the, uh, I think it was like the predecessor to Fortnite and Fortnite kind of became long and was more popular, but I, you know, more or less the same type game. Um, he plays with Carl Anthony Towns. You'll see a lot of videos online to me. I actually thought one of the most telling Ben Simmons quotes of the year came out of his, um, two of them actually out of his showdown with, with Towns. One was, is what we were just talking about. Uh, Town said, I got to go to bed. I got a game tomorrow. And Simmons said, who are you playing? I think he said the Hawks. And he laughed. He said, all right, you could stay up for a little while. Um, that is a real world example of what we just talked about, um, where you have guys making that decision in real time to play another hour's worth of video games with a, a game looming. Uh, the second thing, which you'll never get in a press conference, and this is why I've always been fascinated, not just with social media, but just well, yeah, I guess partly with social media, but being able to see what players say when there's not a mic in front of them because they get out of that sort of scripted thing. Like Ben Simmons is so radically scripted in front in every interview that he does that he's almost completely useless. Uh, he's so well coached on that sort of thing that he just never says anything, like literally anything. And yet during this, um, he was talking to Towns and he said, you know, people are giving me shit, wanting to shoot. If you shot more, you'd be you'd be truly great. And he's like, dude, just, you know, leave me alone. Just appreciate what I do. My team scores like 40 points off my passes. And it was a little bit of insight into his retort to people who always talk about his shot. And I think it's a fair point. 
you know, especially for a rookie to say, hey, you know, give me some credit for what I am doing. But I actually also read that as him being not, you know, again, it was a, I've made a lot of stupid comments while playing video games, so you don't want to put it on him wholly. But he seemed awfully dismissive of the notion that he needed a shot to be considered a great player. And if there's one concerning thing I've heard from him this year, it was that, because it almost gave you the sense that, you know, he doesn't really seem that concerned with developing a shot to become truly elite. Uh, I don't know, I thought it was I would have to imagine that after the elimination against Boston, he's had to uh, to go back and revisit that point. You're probably right. Uh, let's um, let's get to the thing so that, you're speaking the, of that gaming, you're the most excited about. It was the thing that, that blew up our Slack room. Um, it's it's now time. Blew it's a sports world. It's now time for Crossing Broad Slack conversation, brought to you by Slack. Slack. <laughs> um, yeah, sports gambling going to be legalized. Um, I, I no sense in really rounding up the news. Everyone's heard it by now. The gist of it is. Uh, very quickly, I won't drone on long about this, but there was a 1992 law that told states they could not allow sports gambling or compel them not to allow it. Um, Las Vegas, or excuse me, Nevada was grandfathered in. Um, so this, what the Supreme Court ruling was, it wasn't legalizing sports gambling, but it was successfully fought by Chris Christie in New Jersey. Who knew that Chris Christie might wind up going down as like the guy who changed sport forever, go figure. I uh, was successfully fought by them on the grounds that this was basically uh, the government interfering in state affairs. And by telling states not to do something was akin to telling states to do something. Uh, you know, is more or less just a matter of semantics. And they fought that and won. I think the uh, the resulting vote was seven to two in the Supreme Court. So it was, uh, you know, wildly overturned. So what this does is this now opens up states to individually allow uh, sports gambling. I think it would be better if there was a federal law passed that allowed it because from the standpoint of, and I've, I've heard some CEOs, the guys from DraftKings and FanDuel and uh, some team owners and such on, on TV, on CNBC the last few days, it would be better if there was a federal law passed because it would allow um, the sort of negotiating, whatever integrity fee the league wants to take, um, you know, specifics to be done across the board rather than state by state, which creates kind of a confusing mess. You know, think about like liquor laws between PA and New Jersey and how confusing that sort of thing can get, especially in a state that PA, like PA that is so far in one direction where the state controls it. Um, that said, few states have already passed it. New Jersey, obviously, some of the sports books think they could be up and running within a month. Pennsylvania had already passed the bill, uh, so we're going to be following suit very quickly. I believe Connecticut, um, I believe Delaware and New York are also not far behind a lot of the northeastern states, and there's there's a handful of others. Um, the states that haven't passed laws yet, or are many of which are probably moving to do so. So while it's not officially legalized in anywhere but New Jersey, um, it's coming very, very soon in many states. And by soon, we mean by like by football season, if not sooner, uh, at least in New Jersey, potentially in Pennsylvania. So this is a big deal, obviously. Um, it, it, uh, to me, it has ramifications on everything about sports. Because we're in a time right now with sports where you have a genuine exclusive streaming games. You know, who would have thought even five years ago that a game would be a Phillies game would only be streaming on Facebook? People would have laughed at you. Now that's not their entire season; it's a handful of afternoon games. But these are these are casual first steps. You know, simulcast of football is on Amazon. 
um, was on Twitter. Those games were still aired live on TV. But the the boundaries League, between uh, broadcast not that, not that it fits our our demo here, but Champions League was uh, was doing the same thing on social media, like okay. putting secondary games streaming yeah. only. Yeah, I mean, so the point is the lines are blurring between traditional TV and streaming, uh, and one of the things. You know, one of the the pan ringing elements of sports lately, besides just the ratings and people's viewing habits, it's it's the attention span thing. It's a red zonization of sports. It's people watching for fantasy players and not the games. Um, and I think that is why you see so many younger people. You know, people listening to this in their in their later twenties and thirties probably truly don't understand the esports. But there are teenagers who who are all in on it because. It's a streaming-first platform. Esports uh, companies don't care about being on TV. They, it's it's just like an, an extra benefit uh, if they are, but it's not their core audience. It's not their future. Um, so it's a streaming-first platform. Uh, it's it's a you know it, people. I'm getting to gambling here in a second, but people are used to watching things online. They're used to playing games where you have to buy, like Fortnite, where you can buy things to uh, up your character or buy VC points in NBA 2K and make microtransactions. And certainly all these shitty games on like an iPhone or Android that you can play and nickel and dime yourself into an expensive uh, bill that month. You know, these are things a generation has grown up with. All of that leads into the fact that the marriage of streaming sports and the real-time element of gambling are going to be one and the same, and I think changed the way a lot of people consume sports because the allegiance to teams going away. I don't think it's like disappearing. I think there's a lot of hand-wringing about that, but it is lessening, especially when you're watching a national game or whatever. Suddenly, you're much more compelled to watch a Sunday night baseball game if you could sit there, watch it in an app on your phone and within that same app place a a bet on what's going to happen in the next at bat and that sort of thing is not far off you could do that in european soccer uh the ceo of FanDuel was on cnbc the other day and he said he thinks tennis is going to be really big is going to benefit the you know relatively the most from this because or you know grow the most i should say because at wimbledon you can literally bet there's so many events there's individual volleys you know how many hundreds of times a match and you can bet on each one of those as it goes along you know what the outcome is going to be and that is the sort of addictive you know potentially dangerous nature so i think it changed the way you view sports but it's also going to be such a massive influx of cash for the leagues who definitely want to get their hands on it whether directly through some sort of integrity fee or surcharge for for licensing, they're certainly wor- working and lobbying state legislators for all of this. If not through that, through ratings and and wh- whether that's on TV or streaming and ad revenue, because now um, those national games that you really don't care about between two middling teams on a Tuesday night are just the same to a gambler as the big meaningful two first place teams going head to head on Monday night football or Sunday night football sort of matchup. Uh, it's going to change that. I think it's going to change media. I think you're, the way you see fantasy coverage work so seamlessly into um, all sports, especially football discussion, I think you're going to see gambling right there. And there's going to be a big need for that. And then obviously companies like DraftKings and FanDuel and casinos, and, and I'm sure ones we don't even know of or might not exist yet, are going to pop up to offer this real-time gambling. I, you know, it, it's it's going to be nuts. You know, you're a soccer guy. You know, you can go to a, a soccer stadium in Europe, and and there's a betting window, and you can bet on apps and bet at any street corner. And 
Um, you know, you think about that and then you think about American sports, how we have four major sports, you know, three of which play at least 82 games a year. Uh, one plays 162. And then you add in the sheer breadth and depth of televised national college sporting events, particularly basketball. There are so many games. Um, this has potential to be a massive market. I feel really bad for all the, uh, the kids that go to Westchester University who are already used to having to stand behind like that one alcoholic at, at uh, I don't know, like six o'clock at, uh, in the evening trying to get his like third hot dog at 7-Eleven and, uh, you know, trying to buy his lottery ticket. And now they're going to have to fight him and all of his cousins who are also going to be throwing down big bucks on LeBron making a comeback. That's like the the one thing that I guess like going forward, I, I don't know, like, is it going to be legal everywhere? Like, is, is this going to be a thing where like if you have your gambling Eventually. license for um, or not your gambling or yeah like to to buy lottery tickets like is it going to be like every 7-eleven wawas like everything is going to be able to take your sports bet no well maybe but it's going to be on phones forget about that i mean that's that's a thing of the yeah, past you got to think that like eventually I, there's going to be legislation put in into place that's going to regulate it pennsylvania sucks for this kind of stuff like we still have some of the most archaic liquor laws in the country like it would not surprise me to see instead of them like initially we're allowed to do you know mobile transactions and then pretty soon they they put in new legislation that says you have to go to a an approved location like i would not be surprised there's too much money in in corporations being able to regulate this stuff and and to be able to be like the sole purveyors of it that i just find it hard to believe you're right but i think you're looking at it the wrong way those sole purveyors absolutely want mobile i mean think about how many people might go to parks and bet on a random tuesday night you know a few hundred a thousand people i i don't know whatever that now if parks if there was an app that the parent company of parks you know, owned and operated. Well, guess what? I mean, you just, the number of people who can use it is infinite or, you know, the population of the state that you're in. So to your point, I, I, there's going to be heavy, there has already been heavy lobbying. There's lobbying. There is certainly heavy lobbying on the part of DraftKings, FanDuel, the league's teams. And that's why a federal law would be better because it would allow one set of decisions to be made. And on a state level, it's going to get really muddy and, and potentially confusing. But no doubt the incumbent players, the casinos specifically, are going to want to have as close to a monopoly as they can. And where I think the regulation comes in is you're going to need to, you know, certainly financially and securely take these transactions, but also, um, you know, make sure your your book is not doing anything shady and the lines are transparent and all of that stuff. So there will be a gaming license element to it. You'll definitely be held, held to a set of standards, which is a good thing, by the way. But... You know, because those standards will be so tough and expensive, you know, with with lawyers to to overcome and and navigate, the incumbent players like the casinos or DraftKings or FanDuel that have a ton of money are lobbying for that now. Will be able to work with the government, and you'll be damn sure they're going to make it as hard as possible for the small guy. Like you know, for us to start a betting app is going to be you know virtually impossible without some sort of like lobbying help and connections to to really crack that egg. So they'll protect their interest. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to want to offer it on phones. And if the states are interested in the money, which they are, you're going to want to offer it on phones. There's just simply not a world in which it doesn't exist on mobile, even if initial drafts of some of these in some states are restrictive to mobile or you have to be within state lines and it's got to check your location. Like, you know, when you play DraftKings, it checks to make sure you're not in New York because they had had or it is or, or was blocked there, you know, that sort of thing. Um but it's it's a mobile thing. You know, will you see betting stands? 
Probably. Will they be at games? Yeah, probably. You know, will sports books? Is, would Xfinity Live make the greatest sports book ever? You know, yeah, probably. But you know, the real financial element of this, I think that I think the in-person thing, specifically sports books, is going to be experiential. It's going to be an event. You know, it's going to be like going to an amusement park or going to a game. Um, you know, it'll you go for the event. But in terms of the sheer like back and forth of the betting. It, the large majority of it's eventually just going to take place online on mobile phones because it's just so easy and it makes so much sense. And you not, it's more fun to bet on things real time and micro events than it is to just do, hey, minus three, you know, because then if the game's a blowout, it's over. I mean, there's just so many opportunities for this. How granular they allow these bets to get, who knows? Um, how you do that in real time, figure a stream is 20 seconds behind the actual event taking place at least. Um, are you locking those bets as they happen in real time? Probably, but the stream is running 20 seconds behind. Like, you know, there's, you know, if I'm watching on TV and I see event happen, I, I shouldn't be able to go on my phone in the stream and, you know, put it in. So like there's, you know, there's a, there's a timing element of this. It's, uh, it'll be really interesting, but it's going to change sports. And I just think the amount of money that's coming into the industry, because pretty much the entire sports industry right now you know, and, and for a long time, yeah, there's apparel, yeah, there's ticket sales, but it's basically TV revenue rights. And this not only props up, you know, quote unquote, TV streaming advertising revenue, uh, broadcast rights and the advertising revenue it generates, but this props that up because it creates compelling reason for people to watch. And oh, by the way, now there's another element of financial money exchange entering the equation, which is casinos making money, people paying money. And quite frankly, media outlets being able to capitalize on the insatiable need that people are going to want for information and smart targeted info and not just, you know, guys telling you about their their five star locks and all that crummy yep. stuff, and like actual good, smart analysis and ex explanations and all that. And stuff. look, and that's that's why we've already seen the NBA has tried to kind of, you know, narrow, narrow the market on betting on basketball. Like they already want to try to negotiate this with the players union that, that they want to get, you know, a sizable share of any kind of sports gambling that money that gets thrown around. So uh, we'll have to see. We'll yeah, what all the, real quick, I know you got to go, what all the leagues are doing, this integrity thing, they're, they're all including in their statements. You know, yeah, they're concerned about integrity, but they've always been. They've always protected against this stuff and, and you know, had secure, you know, people, security, you know, quote, unquote, security people, you know, making sure and, and checking these things that players weren't wrapped up in wrongdoing. That's nothing new because gambling has existed. But they're doing this to claim, hey, we need some money out of this so we can protect the integrity. And that's how they're trying to get their hands in the pot by claiming, hey, we're going to have to make some amount of money because we're going to have to, quote unquote, you know, supposedly spend money to protect against it, even though it's something they, they've always done. It's smart what they're doing, but that's their that's their angle. Yep. Well, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out because it's going to be in every state. It'll there'll be a different a different little uh, bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, so anyway, it's been a while since we had a show. Um, Crossing broadcast brought to you by uh, the Crossing Broadcast. We'll uh, be rolling out, I think, a new sponsor in the next next few weeks or so. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including a new episode of Crossed Up. Uh, Phillies podcast that dropped with Anthony and Bob earlier this week. Snow the Goalie will be coming out, Great I believe, show. tomorrow. Uh, Crossing Broad FC, Phil and I recorded an episode recently, uh, like two nights ago. That'll be going out as well. Um, it's Always Soccer in Philadelphia will be going up. Um, we'll probably be looking to uh, to switch up the schedule as we now transition into this summer phase. So keep an eye out on the site for that. 
Um, we may be back with an episode on Friday. It might it might be some hodgepodge, but it will be here uh, Friday to uh, you know lead you into the weekend. So until then, I'm Russ. That's Kyle. Follow us on Twitter at Crossing Broad at Joy on Broad. We will talk to you again soon.